Hello and welcome to episode three of the Rebooted Unseated podcast. Uh, this one is obviously a roundup of what happened at the Australian Open this year. There was only two hosts on this episode, gone back to the usual formats. <laughs> we had a one-off where we had everyone on the episode, but so it is myself and it is... Hello, hello, thank you. Can you say some just... like clapping here? <laughs> yes. Um... <laughs> Am I allowed to That's... use your full name on the episode? Or uh, maybe you? not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> maybe just bleep it. <laughs> oh, bleep it. Or not. Okay. For, first name. Um... Fur. For, just first We're name. We're with yeah. Fur. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll bleep out your, your full name. Although, yeah. I'm surprised that you remember that. <laughs> I mean, I lived with you for like a year. Yeah, you know, you weren't, you weren't calling me by, by my full name every day, were you? Or no, thinking no, about I, me, like I mean, technically, I think it is written down in that graduation book that we got. Oh, is it? Ah, oh, probably is. because because they said your full name as you you went onto stage. Yeah, you could have probably just done like Fernanda. Like well, they did do like preferred names, didn't they? Because it was like didn't didn't Megan give them like pronunciation notes? I gave them pronunciation notes as well, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't remember if they followed them. <laughs> I, I I seem to remember Megan did, and they ignored them. Yeah, probably. they just called her Megan. <laughs> For her, it was so easy as well. Like it's, the, I don't know why they would have done it wrong, but yeah. And surely other Australians with that name have studied at that university before. Like true, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh well. That's that's. This is completely unrelated. Yeah. Um, yeah you're yeah. gonna cut all of this. <laughs> yeah. I might leave it in. It's fun. It's a nice little tangent. <laughs> anyway, we will start off going straight into our predictions table. As as you may be aware, we did a predictions table of, before the tournament of who we thought would be in the quarter, semis, final and the champion. Um, Fur is currently looking very impressed with herself right now. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah. Everyone so should be. We, what, the way we scored it was... In each round, if you had one player in there, you'd get a single point. Um, whereas if you got the full matchup correct, there would be three points. And I then awarded three points for if you'd got the correct champion. Which, yes, for context, for picked both Yannick Sinner and Arena Sabalenka to win the Australian Open. Of course, uh, yeah. yeah, me and Dennis had both gone for Carlos Alcaraz on the men and yeah who did you have for the women the women i had elena rabakina and she went out in was it the third round yeah she went out in the third round against no the second round against anna blinkova Mm. so and then he's had um eager yeah who went out in the third round to linda noskova so not fantastic on that front. I mean, to be fair, I didn't even pick Eager to get to the fourth round. Uh, no, I, I had her going out in the fourth round against Alina Svitolina. Oh, yeah, that's true. That, that was my prediction. So I didn't have her get into the quarterfinals. So I, I feel like I deserve some credit for that. But the final scores <laughs> were Fur in the lead with 24 points. I was then second on 12 points. And then Dennis was last on seven points <laughs> oh that's rough well he he did have a lot of um random people in there 
I mean, to be fair, Jasmine Paolini got to the fourth round. He nearly got that as a correct pick, which I thought would have been. I thought he was going to get that. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, he had Katie Bolter get into the semi-finals. She got knocked out by Zhang Xin Wen, who was the eventual finalist. But I mean, to be fair, that half of the women's draw anyway, I think we all had quite a rough time with that half of the women's draw just because yeah. basically every seed dropped out. By the time it got to the quarterfinals, the only seeded player was Zhang Xin Wen, I believe. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it was a bit disappointing. Or exciting, depending on how I was you want fun. to see it. I, I was, I was, I was vibing with it. I think yeah. when we were in, when we were in Exeter last week, I was like, maybe it'd be fun if Sabalenka goes out. Not because I dislike Sabalenka, but I just thought, why not have all the seeded players drop out of the slam? <laughs> I mean, that would have been yeah. No, I honestly, I chose Sabalenka. I knew it was made because she won last year, um, and it's not very common that you see. A player like winning the same tournament like years in a row um but i just i really like couldn't think of anyone else i just had a feeling that she was gonna like do it because i i really couldn't couldn't say anyone else yeah i mean why don't we just use this as a platform to go on to, to talk about the women's final and just sort of the women's yeah tournament anyway i mean yeah like Sabalenka, she didn't drop a set throughout the whole tournament. So, um, very strong. Yeah, I the the sort of overwhelming sense I got from watching the Sabalenka matches that I managed to watch. Obviously, the time zones made it difficult to watch everything. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it just kind of felt like she was just like she can do this to a lot of people anyway. But it just felt even more exaggerated in this tour- in this specific tournament where I was just watching her play people and you just got the the sense that the opponent was just being turned into a ball machine. Like <laughs> literally, it was just all the opponent was able to do was put a ball back into the court for then Sabalenka to hit a winner. Yeah, she was um she made people just play a very defensive game, I think. because um, she was just dominated um all of the all of her matches yeah. and i think we've never seen her like this like because obviously she struggles with like um, confidence and stuff like that but she just she was really good like if she plays every, every tournament like this she's like she's gonna have so many grand slams it's yeah impossible yeah i mean to be, to be fair i i the the only people i see that can beat her is Igor Sviontek, specifically on the clay at Roland Garros, though, because mm. Igor Sviontek kind of needs the time that Sabalenka does not give on hard courts or if they were to meet on grass because how hard the ball is hit. And, I mean, Igor Sviontek is just by far the best clay court player on the women's tour at the moment. Yeah. And then the, the only other player I can see competing is, is Elena Rabakina if she's firing on on all cylinders like because Rabakina beat her in the Brisbane final mm. Sabalenka I don't think was playing like she was throughout the the Australian Open but then Rabakina run her close in last year's final and then beat her in the Indian Wells final then she got ill multiple times throughout the rest of the year so it was never really at 
like playing her best and she clearly wasn't playing her best in Australia because she got knocked out in yeah. I mean one of the most remarkable tie breaks I've ever seen I think the <laughs> longest tie break ever played at Grand Slam level which was 22 20 yes. amazing fun to watch but yeah I just kind of feel like those are the only two players like yes Goff beat like Goff won the US Open final but that's just another instance where Sabalenka was in control of the match, I felt, and just didn't quite hold it together to get over the line. She won the first set, and it's just like, if you, if your level drops against Coco Goff, is like, her weapons aren't as powerful, but, I mean, her service, like her first serve when it gets in is monstrous, but it's just Coco Goff's athleticism that, that sort of yeah. keeps her in the matches. Like, I kind of felt that's what kept that first set between them so tight, is where where Sabalenka was starting to like go through the motions a little bit where she's just like not quite finishing it off. It was Coco Goff mm. was able to stay in there because she could just get to every ball. Yeah, her physicality is definitely her major um, weapon, I guess. And so long matches are great for her. But I also think Sabalenka was maybe, and I'm taking this from break points, I've finished it already. Um, she... Because obviously Coco Goff was playing in New York um, and as a person from the US, um, she had a lot of support. And I think maybe also that plays a little bit with Savalenka's head. Um, she needs to be more like mentally strong and she needs mm. to be able to like just forget about what's happening outside of the game. You know, like it doesn't matter if the crowd are not on her side or whatever, like she just needs to focus on her game. And hmm. if she manages to do that, um, then she's, you know, if she just plays tennis, which obviously I think it's the hardest part, like, you know, the mental yeah. bit, because obviously, I mean, there's so many talented people, but just being both talented and very mentally strong is just really hard. And yeah, I think that's maybe something that she's also worked on. Yeah. I mean, uh, one thing I do just want to say though about her, per like her personality is just so much fun. Like, it's just I nice. It's, it's nice having... Like, I'm, I'm not saying this is a criticism um, to any of the other players that have been at the top of the game, but I just feel like a lot of the other players that have dominated women's tennis recently have been naturally quite introverted, mm. which which is which is obviously fine. Like, yeah. but it's it's just nice to have a different type of personality, I suppose. That's just like, because there's that, I mean, that clip of her holding the, the, the trophy and just like strutting <laughs> around with it is just so much fun. Like, Yeah, she, she is a bit uh, Selena, like Serena. She, um, she reminds me a little bit of her because that's true. Like Naomi Osaka was, is very introverted. Um, even Emma, if I do kind of like, it's a little bit more on the quiet side. And Iga, of course. I don't so, think yeah. Ash Barty was necessarily the most outgoing type either. Yeah, true. So I still can't just, believe she's 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 retired. <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> it's so strange. She just like sort of pops up randomly at these tennis tournaments in Australia. Like she was at Adelaide or something. Yeah, I think she went with yeah. her baby and her husband or something. Like that. She, she yeah. was somewhere. I think in Australian Open, maybe. So, so, she's Australian, I, isn't she? Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would be interested. Like, it is kind of like I would be interested to see if she came back and was at. P cash party no. again. I kind of just want to see what 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 this new crop of players are, are doing with her game because, like, 
Ash Barty yeah. just disrupted the opponent with the, with the slices, the variation. I mean, the pinpoint serve. Yeah, it's, it's a shame that she's not playing anymore. Mm. But I I was also thinking about it. And I was like, well, isn't that like the perfect life? Like, she obviously loved playing tennis, but not she didn't love it as much she, as you know Rafa or Roger. You know, like those people who just keep playing because they just love it so much. She loved it enough, and then she had other priorities in her life, and she, she was she, like, "I'm I'm set for life anyway. So why why am I still working?" She just retired. It's just insane. She won what she wanted to win, and then was like, "That's I'm done. I'm out. Goodbye." Yeah. Like fair enough. Maybe you just don't need to keep on going and winning multiple of the same thing. Like one and yeah, done. Yeah, but I mean, it's and you're it's out. also like I don't I don't really. I mean, it, there's not like a lot of passion for the sport, I guess. I mean, obviously she loved it, but in, at the end of the day, it was just like maybe just, you know, a job, something I mean, to do. And also seemingly she can just ply her hand at any sport and be good at it because she took a yeah. break from tennis when she was younger, then went and became a professional cricket player, <laughs> then went back to playing tennis, won three grand slams and was world number one. And then, and then stopped playing tennis and then just decided to start playing golf. Like yeah. she's just like sinner. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why why not be good at everything? Good at everything, yeah. It would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> but yeah, no, so obviously like I think I mean I kinda just feel like Arena Sabalenka played the perfect tournament. When players play this well, I always really struggle to talk about them on this podcast because it's just like what are we supposed to say other than like Arena Sabalenka was really good for the whole two weeks. <clears throat> There's really nothing else to say, I guess. Like, yeah, it's almost boring because she was so dominant. <laughs> it's like, she was, I don't she was think so... she ever faced, like, adversity. The closest she came was having a little wobble in the, in the like, uh, in that first set against Coco Goff, where it looked like Goff might go on and take mm. the set. Like, that was it. Every other time I watched her, I was like, well... Just putting the opponent away pretty easily. Yeah, I guess got going into that Kokogov um match, I was thinking about the Australian uh the US Open final. And I was thinking, is that gonna like maybe play a little bit, you know, like she's gonna just be reliving that and just be like, Oh no, I can't do this. But yeah, not really. So I think she is in a really good place, like mentally right now. And I'm really happy to see that because I like her. I feel, I, and I feel like now, if unless it's Roland Garros, I think I'm putting her above Iga Swiatek as mm. most likely candidate to win, unless Rabatkina gets back to that level. But I mean, yeah. So she played the semi-finals of Wimbledon and Roland Garros last year. She won last year's Australian Open. She won this year's Australian Open, and she played the final of the US Open. So there's a consistency of like getting to the latter stages of all of yeah. the slams. And who knows if she did get past that semi-final in Roland Garros, she could have got the title because it was that year, it was last year that she got like at least a was it a couple of wins over Iga Swiatek on the clay. So mm. proved to herself that Iga was gettable. Yeah, she can do it definitely. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see those three like develop a. I don't want to see say rivalry. A rivalry. <laughs> like I mean, if it, like I th I think 
though when Rebecca had Wimbledon, she was reigning champion and she was at the Australian Open final and won Indian Wells. It was like, are these going to be like the dominant three players? And it's sort of like Rebecca has dropped off a little bit. I think mostly due to, I mean, she just had a bad year last year with illness. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so, that happens. Like no one's going to say like dominant all the time. It's really hard. So, yeah, I think it's to be expected that. But it's nice to at least have some consistency, um, mm. which we don't I, really I, have a lot of in the women's side sometimes. And I feel like Sabalenka is definitely the mo- at the moment the most consistent yeah. out of those three because Sviontek went out, was it the fourth round of Wimbledon last year? Mm. And she went out um, the third round of this Australian Open. She went out a similar stage last year's Australian Open. It's like, I I kind of feel like a lot of people just go into the women's Grand Slams at the moment with, uh Iga Suyontek must be the favourite. She's world number yeah. one. She's a dominant player. But unless it's Clay, I don't think she's been massively consistent enough to, to be like... To, Sabalenka's been more consistent. I kind of... We're going into Clay where I expect... Sriontech to win. Obviously, we've got to get past Indy Wells, Miami. But once once that's done, we're back into the clay season where Sriontech will pick up and retain a lot of points. Yeah. But beyond that, I kind of see Sabalenka getting back to number one again if it carries on. Yeah, it's definitely like exciting to see how this will develop because I have no idea. <laughs> Fun of watching sports. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. That thing I've got written down, sort of notable matches that happened throughout the tournament. Obviously, I've got Suyontek losing to Noskova. Noskova seemed to just do what everyone does when they beat Suyontek, which is just not give her any time on the ball. Just hit fast, swing freely. I've obviously got the Rabakna defeat by Anna Blinkova, which, mm. I mean, I mean the, the Rabakna forehand in that match was just dreadful. Uh, <laughs> so bad. Like that that thing, that tie break, uh, uh, the twenty two twenty tie break was just like it wasn't a high quality. Like each player had a, like mm. six match points or something. Like it was oh. just like it was just dreadful. Like Rebecca could have won it, but I just feel like she would have won it by just a bit of luck, to be honest. Yeah, well, a lot um, of luck. <laughs> she has yeah three match points, and then and then the other result I've got here, so close to getting this quarterfinal pick correct as well, of of Mira Andreva. Mm. So so disappointed. Um, but yeah, yeah. I guess that was that was a little bit of a surprise as well. Yeah, she she obviously got knocked out by Krishikfa, but I think the in, uh, the result I've written down anyways, Andreva when she beat. On Jabur, six love, six two, like that was. Oh yeah, Ooh. yeah. That's that's just a crazy. Uh, that was yeah. That, was, that that hurt a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, and I think to be honest, now she's had like an established year on tour. Like she's got this. Uh, this is gonna be her first full year on the professional tour. Obviously limited because of her age, so she can't just compete week in week out. But it's gonna be interesting to see what she can do. And it was interesting how deep she can get into these tournaments. Yeah, I think definitely I, the future is looking bright. 
I can, I can, at least. I can, yeah, I can see her still being, I can see her, like, if she comes up against Sabalenka being beaten pretty handily just because of Sabalenka's power. Mm. But, I mean, I think there's, I could see her being able to beat quite a few of the top players. I think it's really she's interesting. Playing well. She's she just... playing really well right now, but we don't know what she's going to be like in, you know, five years. Like she's just going to mm. get better. Yeah, and as well, I just kind of think the reason why she plays so well is like you just kind of feel like she's one of these players that the their tennis IQ is just way ahead of the pack. Like mm. she is eight shots ahead of her opponent, like knows exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> I wish I had that playing tennis. I don't know what's happening <laughs> from point to point most of the time. <laughs> well, that's like the goal, isn't it? Just to like anticipate every, every Yeah. Shot. Like, I mean, it's just crazy. I've seen her play live and it was just like, it's, it, it's when I saw, it's the same feeling I had when I saw Carlos Alcaraz play live the year before. It's just like, mm. you're just so wowed by like, how are they doing that? And how how are they doing that so young? Just don't make sense. Um, and that and that was when Andreva was playing Alison Risk, like, and then and then she rocks up at this year's Australian Open and she does it against three time Grand Slam finalist on Chabur. Mind yeah, insane. Yeah, um, I think that's it for the women's singles. I suppose we should move on to talk about the men's singles and another one of your. Excellent predictions. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Yannick Sinner winning the Australian Open title, his first Australian title. He is the third Italian to win a Grand Slam and the first Italian to win an Australian Open. Mm. And um, the youngest one since Djokovic. Yep, the Carotta boys will be <laughs> delighted. <laughs> they were delighted. Did you see that video when, I, when I you're see. watching the. <laughs> I did see that video. Oh, it's, it's so, it's so, I still find it so weird that I ended up in one of the Carotta Boys' videos in, at Roland Garros. <laughs> Is it on Instagram? Can you see it? It's still on Instagram, yeah. If Here's a cheeky plug for our Instagram, at Unseated Pod. <laughs> um, I've put, like, the highlights up from all the stories that I put up whilst we were at Roland Garros last year. And and one of them is is where I shared the, the Carotta Boys' video I'm in. Oh, Basically, <laughs> they were just going around asking everyone who was going to win Roland Garros. And because I didn't say Yannick Sinner, they told me I was wrong. I said Carlos um, Alcaraz. I, I, maybe I need to stop again. backing him for I know, I yeah. just keep backing him for every Grand Slam. Um, yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like if I'm desperate. going to consistent, I feel like if I should if I'm consistently backing the same guy, I should just be backing Novak Djokovic because that's what he's been doing the last few years anyway. Yeah. Like winning most of the anymore. slams. Mate, oh, yeah. he's lost like one semi-final. I, I don't, I don't think you, you're right off just yet. Well, I have. Obviously. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so obviously the men's singles final was Yannick Sinner defeating Daniel Medvedev 3-6, 3-6, 6-4, 6-4, 6-3. I mean, I just got around to watching it today as I was um, on a train back from the Midlands yesterday. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, I kind of just feel like 
if Daniel Medvedev hadn't played multiple five set matches and finished way past midnight on two occasions, he kind of would have had this match. You know, a lot first, of people say that. Those first two sets, though, from Medvedev, he wasn't play. He wasn't playing the usual Daniel Medvedev game. Maybe because he knew that he didn't have the energy. The last few matches he played, as it got to the third set, he was just fatiguing because the amount of late finishes and long matches he played. He has played 31 sets at this year's Australian Open, which on the commentary is apparently the most amount of sets anyone has played at a Grand Slam in the Open era. Jesus. Yeah, they said he had like 24 hours like on court or something like that. Like something Over like 24 hours on court. Like, yeah. Imagine putting in all that work and then not, not getting over the line. That must be heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly think that that played like some role, but I don't think that's it. I think that's a bit of an excuse um, because the first two sets, like Sinner was not just not playing well, you know. Like he wasn't no, like I, I think, being really good. But, he was just. But I just kind of feel like because Medvedev wasn't giving him anything like because like because obviously the whole thing about Medvedev is his return position is insane like mm. when I was watching those first two sets his he was his return position was a lot more advanced he was giving Sinner less time he was playing quite aggressively like you I've never seen Medvedev go into the net that many times mm. like he was serving volleying chip and charge and he was like like watching Tim Henman back on court. No, well, I mean it wasn't that extreme, but he was coming into the net and trying to finish off points quickly. Yeah, and I mean that's really impressive and commendable that he was able to change his game in such a manner, and it was almost the tiredness that ended it because by the end of that match, he was not looking. Mm. Yeah, no, that's true. But also, I think Sinner like just was really I mean, Sinner... able to turn it around, like to obviously fix his game. He was, he was Sinner. It's not like Medvedev was Sinner was was winning. I think Sinner was losing. Like he had so many unforced errors. Like he was just like I saw the first two matches and I was like, he's gonna lose the first two matches, the first two sets. And I was like, there's no way he can win like this. Like if he's playing like this, there's no way. And then on the third mm. set, at some point, he just started being more consistent and just like hitting, you know, like he's known for being such an aggressive, aggressive like baseliner, and he was hitting those points and just getting it right. And he I was... think it just took him some time to get that pace. Yeah, I think as well, he was, as it got into the third set and sort of Medvedev's level dropped a little bit and Sinner's level raised, like Sinner was able to like extend the points a little bit more get more movement from Medvedev and Medvedev's return position retreated a little bit. And yeah. it's that sort of played into Sinner's hands because Sinner had such an efficient route to the final. The only set he dropped was the tiebreak against Novak. So yeah. it was like, it, it just he had so much more left in the tank. Yeah, no, yeah, that's true. I mean, but in the end, like that's tennis, like you you don't really know what you're gonna get. Yeah, um, I mean the argu the argument is as well is that Medvedev should have just been more efficient. Yeah. Why did he have so many like late matches? He just he should have just won, like in three in three sets. 
because he didn't really play. Who was his? Um, who did he play against? So his two latest finishes were Emil Rusevori, where he went two sets down mm. and came back. That was that was a late finish, way past midnight. And then obviously the match against Alexander Zverev. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was a good one. And that was the semi final, so Yeah, true. Yeah, well I mean yeah, fair enough. I mean that I mean five sets against Zverev when Sinner had four sets against Djokovic, so I mean stats wise as well, this sort of highlights how it how close this match was in a way. Um even though it obviously Towards the end, it just felt like Sinner was way on top. So Sinner won 142 points this match. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> Daniel Medvedev won 141. <laughs> which yeah. kind of in a way goes to show it's, it's not how many points you win. It's just which points do you win. Yeah, exactly. It's well taking your opportunities, really. Like just having those break points. And, yeah. I mean... I really love this from Sinner as well, because because um, as you know, he used to ski and he like mm. he was like a really good at it. Like, he was like a champion and stuff. And then um, my mom told me this actually. I don't know where she read it, or, um, but apparently he like decided to like quit skiing because he was like just one mistake in skiing and then you're done. Like there's mm. no way to recover from that. And then he said, what he loves about tennis is that. You can, I mean, it's not over until it's over, you know, like really until the last point you can win. And that's, yeah. I, th I feel like he he literally like lived that in this final because, I mean, you can be two sets down, whatever. You The other person can have match point and you can still win the game. Mm. And that's just insane to me. Like how really it all comes down to just, I, I think it's obviously a lot of talent a lot of like mental, you know, strength and just like your nerves and just being like really calm, which I think Sinner also is really good at. He's so chill. He's so, I mean, I don't know if he's like that in the inside, but he's just so, he's just so relaxed. He, he gives this, he, he gives off this like, you know, vibe of just being like super calm, just like being in control, which I think is really helpful to him. I mean, you can see that like most of the time where he's celebrating either a good point or even winning a game or a set, most times it's just a quick sort of shake of the racket, like cheer, like not even saying anything, just looking yeah. at his box. Whereas it's obviously like one of his, like his other successful contemporary, Carlos Alcaraz. Oh, is, yeah. Complete opposite. Complete opposite. Like, I mean, I, I like both approaches. Because it's like you look at the big three, like Federer. He was generally a lot calmer, but have would have occasional moments where he'd like roar and cheer. I think everyone does. But then obviously you compare him to Nadal and Djokovic, who were definitely a lot more vocal. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's um, everyone's like you, that, that's where you can see like personalities, which is really fun. Because mm. um, obviously no one's like you know controlling those things i don't think that mostly like it's just like who you are as a person and you can definitely see Sinner is a little bit more introverted um but he's just i don't know i love him <laughs> I, 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 I have seen quite a lot of people though like try and compare him to like federer and i'm just like 
okay, yeah, they've won their they've they've won their first slam at like a similar age, but yeah. I think like personality wise, I mean, obviously not game. They don't have the same game, no, like no. style, but maybe personality wise, because like you said, like Roger was also really really calm, um, and he was just like he, you wouldn't see like emotion from him a lot um and he that's i think that's where he got like everyone obviously gets their strength or like you know their focus from different things and i think that's something they both share maybe they just like they don't like exude emotions they just keep it to themselves and that's helpful to them in some in some way i'm not sure but i i i think Sinner also mentioned that patience like in his speech when he won that patience is like a really important thing and that he's been really patient in his career and i think that's also like something that's really important for like young players to hear you know in the circuit obviously because like i feel like it's maybe can be like you know like you just really want to you're 20 years old or whatever and just just so eager to like win and be dominant and stuff and And i think it's not that kind of sport and i mean credit to sinner just being patient, figuring out the changes he needs to make to his game, like going, coming into this season, like he's changed his serve as well, yeah. which I mean, impressive, impressive change that's been so efficient so quickly. Um, but whilst this is happening and he's sort of having to be a bit patient for him to get to a position where he can compete and win these tournaments, you've got Alcaraz who's come along at a younger age more fully developed as a player i mean sinner as well now though he's got darren cahill as his coach who i mean i believe coached leighton hewitt back in Mm. the early 2000s he was like leighton hewitt was like cahill's like project like i suppose alcaraz is juan carlos ferrero's project (laughs) um and obviously i think cahill even had like darren cahill had like a bit of a trial period with Federer um, mm. and he's coached Simona Halep as well um, among others um, but yeah it's I mean it's a good good coach to have yeah um, and yeah I mean since he's come in as well I feel like that's the thing Sinner's game has just got more complete like they obviously worked on the serve over the off season moving from a platform to a pinpoint serve gets more power and it's also quite interesting that at the same time Sitsipas had made that move from a platform to a pinpoint serve which that for context platform is your feet stay apart but prior to serve where pinpoint your feet come together before you lift off for the serve mm. I don't know why I was using my hands to explain that because this is an <laughs> this is an <laughs> a purely audio Visual. experience <laughs> Let us know if you want a video. <laughs> I I don't want to, to have to edit a video as well as as sure. well as the audio. Be a nightmare. Like that. That'd be traumatizing. Um, but yeah, no. So they this decision was tra- made, to, and at the same time, Sitsipas was doing this. And whereas it really strengthened and improved Sinner's serve, Sitsipas went the other way. I think his serve was worse at this tournament. Mm. And he just doesn't feel as necessary for Sitspass because Sitspass is a big guy. Like he's tall. Like doesn't necessarily need the well, extra spring. Tall. 
I know they're all tall. Yannick Sinner just played an incredible tournament because before he played Medvedev in the final, obviously played Novak Djokovic in the semi-final and was dominant. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, Djokovic managed to get one set through a tie break. He, like his service game's massively improved in that one set. And also like you're playing, he is one of the greatest tennis players of all time. So yeah, just the pressure. he's always going to find a way to like at least challenge the opponent. But yeah, I mean, Yannick Sinner did not face a single break point on his serve against arguably the best returner of all time. Yeah. I, like, I mean, that's just that. I think that just shows the level at which he was playing. Like, I don't think Djokovic was firing all cylinders. He was supposedly ill throughout the tournament. But to do that against him is just mind blowing. Yeah. And I think that, again, like, this just shows the mental strength of the new generation. Um, just being able to, like, not only compete against like this major, you know, like almost like it's the fact myths, that these guys have you know? been. Yeah, it's the fact that these guys have been around for so long. Like literally, I grew up watching Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Yeah, and like I'm four years, three years older than Yannick Sinner, so Yannick Sinner would have grown up watching these guys. And to then go out on court and beat these people that you have watched win every tournament for like the last however many years to go out on court and beat them in a Grand Slam semi-final and not only a Grand Slam semi-final, but Novak Djokovic in the Australian Open semi-final where he has never lost a semi-final. And then mm-hmm. once he's got through that semi-final, he's never lost a final. That's and the was... thing. I feel like... Th- Sorry. I was also just going to point out, Alcaraz doing the same thing at Wimbledon last year. Exactly. Where you're yeah. beating the guy who's trying to level the record at Wimbledon. It's Yeah. yeah I think that's the difference between this generation and the, pre- the next gen. It's just like, they're fearless. You know, like they have worked this mental strength so much that they're not faced you know about like not just competing but like winning against like this major major because you know Djokovic I mean he's getting older but he still has like a very high level it's not like oh he's not like you know winning as much as as he was like he's he's actually like the top player so it's still really like intimidating you know facing him mm. in the court and stuff like that and obviously he has like a big crowd like that supports him and stuff so to just to be able to like go through that and, and win it's just amazing it's just and, like, and win win in the manner that he did because yeah, it was like in a dominant way yeah yeah like, it's just it's... yeah i am so i am impressive. like yeah i'm very impressed by sinner and alcaraz yeah, I mean, other matches that happened on the men's side of the draw. I kind of want to mention Manorino Shelton because that was just like such a fun vibe of a match. <laughs> I didn't like, see that one. Adrian Manorino is like, he looks like the most effortless tennis player ever. 
Like, and the fact is, you've got this guy that's consistently hitting like 140 mile per hour serves at you, and Adrian Manorino is there with his tennis racket that's got like no string tension, like it's like strung at like 28 pounds or something like that. Why? Well, literally, if you watch him hit a shot, like there's no backswing, like he just sort of puts his racket there and his racket just does all the work. So then literally he's just predict, like if he gets, if he gets the racket to tilt and serve, all he has to do is put the racket out and then the ball just comes back. (laughs) And it's like, Shelton was just not ready for this because Shelton usually sends those serves down, they're unreturned serves or they're aces. And like, so it's quite a, like this ball was coming back at him before he was even ready, like <laughs> before the service motion had even properly finished. Like, oh, I mean, oh, it was just seemingly a crazy amount of French fans as well at this tournament. <laughs> but that that was such such a fun match. I've also got Medvedev's Verev, where it looked like Medvedev was shouting karma at the end. Karma. Well, I don't, I don't think, I mean, he denies that he said karma, but if he did, I would understand it given the, the, let's say rivalry Mm, between the two of them. (laughs) I mean, I mean, especially if you think about the, the latest episode of Breakpoint where Zverev was was the protagonist and Medvedev was the foil, the villain to uh, in the story. You know, I've I've seen that um, episode now because I've I've already um, finished the season, and then I it got me thinking. Like, it's just I don't think it's them trying to sell Medvedev as the villain because obviously, I mean, let's say this about Medvedev. Um, he, I think he was very gracious in this final, like. He took the the loss like in a great spirit. Obviously, way better than he took than he took losing to Nadal. Um, and I think he mentioned this in in his press conference as well that he's now like more confident that he knows he can do it and he's not taking it as something like disastrous. It's just like you know something that happened and he's gonna work and he's he's okay he's in much better position that shows a lot of growth from his side like this it must mm. be like dev- devastating loss like at any point in your career it doesn't matter but he just it's just shown he's grown so much since then um but <laughs> i will say he loves to play the villain like he actually well, have, have, enjoys have, have, have doing not, that have you not seen his like press conferences this year though he's a new man he's turned a new leaf he's he's no longer going to be that I mean, guy yeah, but uh, you can't you can't really just like decide one day to like, oh, okay, everyone forget what I've done the last you know five no, years I mean, or whatever. I I think the reason why that episode is particularly strange is because they like they show Medvedev arguing with umpires smashing rackets. I mean, it's not like Alexander Zverev has never argued with an umpire or smashed a racket or even smashed a racket against an umpire's chair. He's done these things. Like, yeah, I mean, and, and it, 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 you it, will it agree whole... that Medvedev does it more often. Yeah, but then it's also like Medvedev, oh, he's playing mind games all the time. It's like every tennis player is always playing mind games. Like when Alcaraz 
does a fist pump and stares at the opponent in the eye after he wins a point. That's that's mind games. I mean, Djokovic uh... plays mind games. They all play mind games. Like it's it's how like yeah. you need to use everything to get an advantage. And like, yeah, Medvedev does it maybe more than others, but that's the thing. I feel it's like a competition. Maybe it's most... a competition. You're maybe... trying to come off the court as the winner. Do what you yeah, need. Yeah, but there are questionable, like the underarm serve. Like there are some. I mean, legal as the underarm serve is absolutely fine. No, I, I, I think... 100% back the underarm serve. <laughs> I mean, it is legal, so it's fine. But there are certain codes, and I think that's like what a lot of people can rightfully criticize. Remember, like he, he just has like all these tricks, and it's just it seems. I don't know. It seems just like I I know I wouldn't like playing against someone like that because I I also think like it's just it should be all about tennis. It shouldn't be about like mm, I'm gonna take you know like um uh you know when when players go to the bathroom just to like when the other yeah, one is yeah. is winning and stuff. I I I I I cannot agree with that because I think it should be just about the yeah, tennis. Yeah, but you're, you're you're just very fussy about your opponent. You won't let Sam drop shot you like. <laughs> Like literally. Uh, no, I've lifted the rule, so he's allowed to do it now. Oh, oh, how generous! How long have you been playing for that you've not let your boyfriend play <laughs> play a drop shot against you? Like <laughs> that doesn't matter. He can do it now. So. Is, is that, and would, I would won. You, would you say that drop shots are unsportsmanlike conduct? No, of course not. Okay, that's that's so fine. Why is an un underarm serve unsportsmanlike conduct? Because it's just it's just rude. Like that's not how you're supposed to serve. No, and then it's just I think why? It's, a, why? it's a cheap way to to gain a point as well. Because like obviously you wanna you wanna win the point. You don't wanna just win it because your adversary is not prepared to return it. You know, like you actually wanna like it's about let's it, it, let's no listen tennis is about let's both do our best and see who who wins. And it's yeah, not like, I'm, you don't even I'm, have to be the be the better player. It's just, you were better in that time that day, you know? Yeah. And also, like, likewise, if I was to hit an underarm serve against you and you didn't get to it, just get to the ball faster. You should be quicker on your feet. You should anticipate it. No. Like, it's like, uh, yeah. Anyway, Medvedev doesn't really play <laughs> underarm serves. I don't know why, why we've got there. He like, does. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. No, have you not, um, there must be a compilation on YouTube for you to watch. But like, yeah, so like, but like, I, I just, I mean, to be fair, I was, I would have been a little bit with that semi-final. Like, I, I think it does bear mentioning. Like, it is, it was something sort of uncomfortable about this tournament is that we now know that there is a court date set for the allegations of domestic abuse. Obviously, he does deny all the allegations, but it's it is a sort of bit of an uncomfortable elephant in the room where it comes to seeing someone do so well and celebrated at a tournament while there's this other off-court issue hanging over them. Yeah, it, and it it will take place during Roland Garros, so we'll see if that you know affects him in any way like mentally just like because I, I don't think he he's thinking of going um i don't think he yeah. has to but 
even just knowing that's going on and he obviously gets those questions um during like his press conference and stuff we'll see how if that plays a role um, well i think we saw we saw most most players get asked about it because obviously he'd just been elected to the atp players council mm. so that that was an issue that came up a lot in the early round press conferences but obviously most tennis players decided not to comment and i'm not necessarily going to criticize tennis players for not commenting because it's a legal matter and it's a like, smart thing to do you don't want to get even, involved yeah, but yeah I don't like really know. it's just obviously with the allegations which once again he does deny just overhanging the whole tournament it just felt like it was because i as well when i saw coverage it's like espn were bringing it up but then eurosport weren't bbc mentioned it on their radio commentary mm. so yeah i feel like that's that's as much as we can say on this thing going back to the actual match between medford evans Zverev, i was ended up because i was on the train to the midlands that day i was got and i was in london euston and i was trying to follow the tennis on the radio yeah and i've got to say like it's kind of, it was good because I was getting score updates, but actually trying to follow, because there were a lot of What's long happening? rallies in that match. Yeah. When like trying to actually follow the match on the radio is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> like fortunately imagine. I managed once on the train to get on the train Wi-Fi and watch the end of the match mm. because I was, I was, I was struggling. I was struggling. <laughs> like, to actually figure out what was going on um but yeah no so that was i feel like that's that's it for the men's side like sinner mm. unbelievable let's like, just mention how great six months sinner has had um oh yeah it's like, been very dominant yeah he won the davis cup um, yeah beating he Djokovic. Won... Yeah, he's head to head with Djokovic is actually quite interesting. I think yeah, like four he, three or something like that. Yeah, because he beat Djokovic in the round robin of the ATP finals, got beaten in the final. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's sort of building up a good. Yeah, a good... he won a Masters thousand, the Canadian Open, mm. and two ATP five hundreds, and obviously he reached the final at the ATP finals. So very impressive. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like before we wrap up, there's just a few talking points that we can we can discuss. Is as the the great predictor that you are, this <laughs> this tennis fortune teller. Uh -oh. Do we think that Sinner will win another Slam this year? I think he will. I, I'm rooting for the for Wimbledon this year. Oh, Wimbledon! No, not I, I... Not, a, not a Carlos defense of the title. No, I don't think. Or, or do you not want anyone winning too many at a young age? So, so Roger's record still stands. No, no, I, I would, I would give it anything to Sinner. He's my new favorite. He's, He's my new, new Roger. I don't know. I feel like out of the two, it's like I really like both of them. It's just, yeah. Obviously, I feel like Alcaraz has a bit more of that like wow factor with his shot making. Oh, well, he is younger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of see him. I, I, I see him more likely getting a Wimbledon or the US Open 
Yeah. Um, I, 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 just, I feel like Clay. I wouldn't say I, he was I, open because it's just so random. Like he was open, it's just a random slam. Anyone could win it. Literally, who knows what goes on at the US Open sometimes. Yeah. It's like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. from qualifying to win it. Anyway. Yeah, it's like a wild card. Yeah, wild card Dom- for the, for the slam. Dominic team won it one year. Del Potro won it <laughs> against Roger. Marin Cilic. <laughs> yeah, no, he's just a random, weird dude in the room. I love it, know? though. It's just kind of like if, if something unpredictable is going to happen. Because I feel like, obvious, I just feel like the other three have been so predictable most of the time. It's like if Djokovic is fit, he's going to win in Australia. If Nadal is fit, he's going to win yeah. in Roland Garros. In the 2000s, if Federer was fit, he's going to win Wimbledon. In the 2010s, if Djokovic is fit, he's most likely going to win Wimbledon. Obviously, Andy Murray threw in a little bit of spice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And and obviously, Federer got 2012 and 2017. That was a bit more mixed, but I just feel like actually Wimbledon is probably the most closed of all of the Grand Slams Mm, up until last year, because it was literally only won by the big four. Yeah. No, I mean, even Australian Open, it was just like big forward, very dominant for like the last yeah. five years I mean, or whatever. Stan got his one. Stan the um, man. Oh, really? A US Open or, or Australian He got Open? US, Australia and Roland Garros. Ooh, sometimes yeah. I forget about him. <laughs> I, love, I mean, I love I guess, Stan Wawrinka. I, 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 I mean, made sure to try and see him whenever I could at Roland Garros last year, just because I, I just, I just, like that backhand. It's just so beautiful, and seeing it in yeah. person is just, oh, it's a dream. <laughs> no, he is, he is very nice. I guess like you get, you we get very spoiled because like you think three grand slams and you're like, oh, that's nothing compared to you know like twenty. Yeah, but like I, it's actually like very hard, you know. <laughs> like it's like amazing. <laughs> like I mean, this is this is the thing. I. I just feel like because we've come off the back of Serena and winning 23, we've had Novak now on 24, Rafa on 22, and Federer on 20. Like, we're so used to, like, and, and before that, we had Sampras on 14. Like, we, we got mm. so used to yeah. having these players. And not long before that, before Serena, you had, obviously, Steffi Graf. Like... And then there was Everton and Ratalova. Like we got so used to having like these these champions that are just crazy good. Yeah. Like winning everything. And then we just sort of I think there's a tendency to forget is like it's not a bad thing being a one slam wonder, like just getting the one title, like Roddick. Medvedev may only get one title, who knows? But like I to think get Medvedev will win more. I think I think he will, but even if he just has that one US Open, if if Emma Raducanu never wins another Slam, like yeah, it's like yeah, maybe you can say like their potential wasn't fully reached, but I mean, winning a Grand Slam is not easy. Yeah, definitely. Like winning one, most professional tennis players are never getting near winning a Grand Slam. Or even if they get close and get to a final, getting over that last hurdle, as we've seen with Onjabur, for example, she plays well throughout the tournament, gets the final, and just I feel I feel like the most dramatic instance was the twenty twenty two Wimbledon. She got the set up 
and then just couldn't get over the line. Yeah. So winning one, like, if, yeah, maybe the best example is Emma Raducanu because she won it at 18. If she doesn't win another slam again, that's still an incredibly successful career. Like, maybe it's a bit disappointing, but she's won a Grand Slam. How many other people have won Grand Slams? Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, you don't want to just be good. You want to be, like, legendary, you know? And that's Mm. how you get to be legendary, like, winning 20 Grand Slams. Because, obviously, I mean, not everyone, but lots of players will have, like, a random two, three, four Grand Slams. And because we are so used now to seeing like consistent players just be dominant, we're not impressed by that anymore. Um, and we want 10 grand sounds, you know, at least in a, in a full career, obviously not, um, you wouldn't expect that from like a 20 year old or like 25 year old, but we're just like, we're just expecting more. And I think, and I know I've, I've mentioned this before, you don't like it, but some players just get especially now with like social media and stuff they just get so distracted i saw i saw this with tfo um with, with during breakpoint because like he's like oh yeah he became like this like crazy you know like celebrity and like everyone in 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 the u.s goes to like watch his like matches at u.s open and stuff like that and they even show like this random like bit where he met justin bieber for some reason um i just think like some players especially younger players they just get so much into like the glamour because i think like now tennis is more like i mean in the early like days and from the early days like early 2000s it wasn't like that you know mainstream i guess like they weren't really going to like the oscars or like the grammys or whatever they weren't going to like red carpet events i I feel it's i feel it's gone in phases because i feel like if you look back at how Borg and McEnroe, they were treated as massive celebrities. Like Yeah. They but... they 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 were huge celebrities. Like and I, I think we do forget, like I mean, a really good series is is Gods of Tennis on the BBC where they look at these players in like the seventies and and eighties and it's like they were massive celebrities. Like you see you see like I mean it's when it's when Borg was playing at Wimbledon and you see all like the young women like run into Wimbledon so they could go like this guy was like a sex symbol. <laughs> like is and and it and it just goes in phases, like maybe like before Roger came along it's sort of gone into a bit of a lull. But then Yeah. Roger comes along. I mean, then the big three of this thing. You've got Serena at the same time. Yeah. And Venus. Like, and Sharapova. These big... Even Kornikova. Because she was was dating Enrique Iglesias. And they essentially just became like walking billboards. Yeah. They were so prominent. But I think that's, like, for them it was a bit difficult, different, because it was like an established kind of... You know, they weren't that young, they weren't that... And obviously, like, social media wasn't the same thing. It was like just going places they weren't like maybe reading like things about themselves like in just comments it's so easy to just go into your instagram and like see what everyone's thinking about you and stuff like that i feel like that just plays against you know players at some point like they shouldn't 
maybe focus so much on that. Obviously, I know that's how they make most of their money. Um, and obviously, it's very expensive to be in the circuit and just like keep traveling all the time. So I know how, how it is necessary for them to like to have like brand deals and stuff like that. I get it. I just think it can be counterproductive to most Also, them. I feel like if I was in a, a top tennis player and someone came up to me and was like, oh, Justin Bieber's in the stands. He'd like to say hi. I'd be like, okay, I've kind of got more pressing things to worry about. Exactly. About like, you're to... not going to be nervous because Justin Bieber wants to meet you, you know? Like, so okay. um, may, may, maybe I'll say hi after the match, like yeah. if I've won. But not not going out your way before the match. You got stuff to focus on. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like I don't think they are paying attention to the things that they should be paying attention to, or at least not with the same dedication. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like anyway, like the U.S. Open has that kind of feel, though. Is that like always yeah. at the U.S. Open? Like it's just, just a rogue celebrities. One, yeah. I mean, and Grand Slams do it all the time. Like I was on Instagram earlier and I saw a tweet, uh, an Instagram post from like a few days ago from the Australian Open Instagram account. Louis Tomlinson from One Direction has arrived, exclamation mark. And it's a picture <laughs> of him turning up to the Australian Open. And I was looking at that and I was like, honestly, who gives a shit? Like... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, Wimbledon does it as well. Like, they would yeah. just, like, focus, like, Hugh Grant or whatever, like, someone who's there. Oh, someone like, in the Royal okay. Box, yeah. You know, yeah. like, like, why is this, you know... Because it's, it's, I mean, it's tennis. It's not, like, a vulgar sport, like, football or, like, basketball or something like that. It's, like, nobody cares about celebrities opinion. being there, you know? Like... It's not, we're not here to see celebrities, you know? Maybe you go to a basketball game saying like, oh, maybe I'll find Adam Sandler. Or I don't know who goes to basketball games. But, you know, like, you don't really, like, care. Like, you're there to, to see the match. Like, celebrities are on court. We don't care about anyone else. It's just, like, a bit unnecessary. Like, yeah, I mean, no, but then, but then, to be fair, you go to Wimbledon, and even when you're at Wimbledon, it's a bit like that, because Wimbledon is just a day out for posh people where they can go and drink pimps. Like a lot of people that are at Wimbledon aren't there really to like the people that get the ground passes and get in the queue. You mm. get the sense that when they're going around the outside courts, they're there because they're interested in the tennis. But when you're sat on these show courts, the vast majority of people aren't there for the tennis. Yeah, it, like when they bring kids, like three year olds and stuff like that. I'm like, come on, like literally, why does a three year old need to be here? When I was last at Wimbledon, either side, there was me and Dennis there, and we were there to watch the tennis. We watched every match that was on number one court. Either side of us, I'm pretty sure there were people that were just there getting drunk because it's what British people do at these sort of events. Um, and then in front of us were the these couple of girls that just like, at some point, they decided that they got cold and then went off and bought themselves both very expensive ralph lauren fleeces from the shop um or like 300 quid or something and it's kind of like and they didn't really watch much of the tennis they they turned up for a bit of it but it's wimbledon is a day out for posh people like it's not about the tennis so when you're even there it kind of just feels like you're sort of there because you get to mingle with some celebrities 
it's like yeah i think even the ticket the ticket um system just makes that clear like this is not about, oh yeah oh when it when it's know, the ballot like want half, to watch it i don't know if this like uh half of me kind of just thinks they've probably got some like postcode filter on it we'll actually only give it to the people from kensington um yeah i mean definitely they they so they have so many tickets that they just give to those people because like oh, how this... else are they getting them i will never stop being angry about debentured tickets like these debentured seats where people are paying like thousands of pounds so they can have the same seat every year mm. and it's like come on now lads like just make the event more accessible and affordable and then you'll have a good atmosphere and tennis yeah. fans in the crowd instead of just Tom Cruise. Yeah, I don't think they really care about the No, they don't. They, the they don't. It's a it's an organization run by a load of ex private school people. Um yeah. but yeah, uh, sort of just a few last talking points. We sort of touched on it a little bit. Like, do we think time is running out for the old next gen? to win anymore like i feel like medvedev can win more but is time yeah. running out for your sitsapas your zverev and anyone else that was i'm, um, I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna talk about felix ojo aliasim anymore why i just just does not gonna win anything is he <laughs> I, I yeah i'm really disappointed i mean i i expected more from him but i think you know, Zverev is pretty interesting because he had like a very good tournament um, mm. in Australian Open. He played like really well. He was very consistent. And coming from an injury, it's just, I mean, it's can't very... get over the line though. And I kind of just feel like that's that's a bit of a pattern. Yeah, like, that's the thing that I think it's more mental thing with him. Because even when he, I, I know he got the injury, which meant he couldn't finish the match. But at that point, he was losing the match against Nadal. And I feel like if you're losing a match against Nadal on court, Philippe Chatria, you're probably just, you, you're not going to end up winning the match. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I think I don't see Zverev winning the Grand Slam. I do see Method of winning another one though. I, I, I used to say that I would expect once Nadal and Djokovic have got off the scene, sits a pass to pick up like a French Open one year. But yeah. I, like, I used to think that, but I honestly, I'm turning away from the fact that Sitsipas could ever be a Grand Slam champion. I feel like he's getting worse. Yeah, I don't see him doing that. And I think his dad being his coach is not helping. I That's always been the thing. I just feel like that's such a limiting factor. And, I, and like, I just, yeah, I don't, I just, I no longer see him as a potential yeah. Grand yeah. Slam winner, which is kind of bizarre because I feel like out of, the three he was the most hyped at a young age well, that's the thing i feel like that generation itself was a bit disappointing because like the only one who, have, who has islam is methodist because mm. i i don't think i don't think like because other contemporaries so you've also got rublev i don't see him winning islam no i don't see that either but i do like rublev <laughs> i'd love rublev he seems like a very very lovely guy yeah, he like, does. If you're going to be friends with people on tour, you'd probably want to be friends with him. Yeah. But, like, yeah, like, I just, I feel like the only one now I can see winning a slam out of that group is, because it's not like Djokovic, I don't think he's stopped. It's not like, I think he's going to win more slams. I feel like 
Nadal, if he's fit going into this year's Roland Garros, he could easily win that. I'm going to go controversial and say neither Djokovic or Nadal are going to win another Grand Slam. I mean, it's just so, like I I can kind of see the art because this is Nadal's last year on tour. I I can see the argument that Nadal's not going to win another Slam, but I mean, I just don't see how. I feel like still go unless things drastically change. I think at the moment you'd still make Djokovic the favourite for Wimbledon. Not me. Sinner. No, obviously, yeah. Obviously. I mean, you're just going to pick Sinner for everything from now on. I, I suspect. No, I think I'll, I'll go Alcaraz for um, Sinner is going to win the next. Is okay. As I thought you could say it's like you're just going to stick with the prediction. Sinner is going to win every Grand Slam for the next <laughs> I five just years. Do the same draw for all the Grand Slams. <laughs> yeah, I still I need to stop picking Rabatkina. Um, you really do, yeah. Yeah, and t- talking about that, then maybe our last talking point. Because we, we touched on it briefly, but I feel like actually we did speak about this. It's like Sa- Sabalenka's just the favourite, isn't she? Super going into right now, yeah. I think she's the favourite going into any tournament. Yeah. Apart yeah. from maybe Roland Garros. I mean, if she if she stays focused, then she stays like playing the same thing. I don't I don't see how anyone would compete against her. But we'll see, because, oh. I mean, this is up and down, you know, it's not, doesn't necessarily mean she's going to stay like this. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think we've got a good amount of recording there. Hour and 40 minutes in total. Oh, this is going to be such a pain to edit. I, I should just start posting these with, like, no editing to them and then just see what <laughs> <Uncut>. happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Direct people cut. care, maybe we'll have more. Maybe, maybe. But I, no, I, I mean, I already need to censor out where I said your full name. Um, yeah, oh, true. Yeah. Oh, you can just cut the whole intro and just start cut like. The, <laughs> cut the whole intro. So let's talk about women's singles final. <laughs> Anything else you want to mention? Any more? Any last little. Um, no, I think I said everything I wanted to say. Fair enough. Um... I feel like I should just mention it. It's already been put up on Instagram, but me and Fur played tennis again. Oh, true. Last weekend. I lost again. It was like, it's such a shame. Oh, it's 6 1. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, like, I kind of wish we were able to carry on playing. Like, normally (laughs) we would have probably been able to get in two sets by the time we did. And even though it was a 6 1 set, which you'd think would be quite quick. Our first two games were 10 minutes each. Yeah, that was crazy. It's just yeah. like, I feel like that this happened last time we played. Uh, we just kept going like, do's, advantage, do's, advantage, do's, advantage. It was just I mean, pain. that was the thing. I've had, like, since we last played, that's I've gone backwards. Because when we played in the summer a couple of years back, it went to a tie break. Yeah. It's like, uh, to be fair, I haven't played in months. But then you haven't played in ages. But then when we were getting like, when we took photos of each other playing, I think at that moment I realized it's like my technique is just like so off on certain shots. <laughs> Why? Whereas it's like you look you look at the photo of you playing and like all parts of but but yeah, and and all the parts of your body that you're using are all in the right place. Whereas it's like my trailing arm is just sort of <laughs> all over the place 
And it was like, I, it was like, I really cleaned up my serve before I stopped yeah. playing for ages. And then I went and hit a few serves practicing in the park behind my house. And my mum recorded the service. She was walking the dog at the time. Mm. And it's like, I've gone backwards on that as well. I've, I forgot all the things that made my serve better. <laughs> oh, no. it's like, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what's happening with my game. It's just, it's, just, it's bad. When we next play, I'm going to try and win. I won some tennis awesome. matches last week. I went to a group class oh, yeah. and I, I beat some people on a tennis court, which was, it was a, it was a, it was a new feeling for me. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> it, was quite, it was quite fun. I don't, oh, honestly, that day though, I, I don't think I've ever served better in my life. It was unbelievable. Um, I think that was that. But yeah, I think, I think that's it. Um, thank you very much for should I I should wrap up there's nothing left you want to say is there no that okay, was cool. thank you for, yeah. rem for rem reminding me yep thank you very much for listening um subscribe and review us five stars on whatever podcast platform you're currently listening to us on uh we have a twitter account and an instagram account both at unseeded pod um I, I don't actually know which one's better to follow, to be honest. <laughs> but I'm I'm very irregular with posting on either of them. Um, probably Instagram. Yeah, probably. And yeah, we've got, we have the email address, unseededpod at gmail.com, which obviously no one's ever used. But yes, thank you very much for listening. And goodbye. See you whenever we next record a podcast. Thank Could you. be may, maybe around after... Indian Wells and Miami are finished. I don't know. Or if or if there's any particular rougher vibey things happening in tennis. I don't know. Yeah. Any um, news? Major news. Yeah. Major news. Um Novak Djokovic suddenly announcing retirement. Oh, um You'd die. Oh, I'd be so happy. Yeah. I <laughs> I'm I am a Novak Djokovic fan. I'm I'm, yeah, so I'm are. I am, yeah. I'm a fan of all three of them. Like I, d I don't sure. feel the need to be like tribal. Like what? I don't feel the need to be tribal about it. Like to oh. like fiercely pick a side. They're all great tennis players. But anyway, yes. It's their own. Yes. That, we are, so we have planned a goat debate episode, but we're going to do that when all three of us can be in the same room because there will be, I mean, most likely there will just be violence. <laughs> yeah um and it will probably be quite funny maybe that's the first episode we should just ever record video of because oh, gosh. Just everyone imagine? will be fuming <laughs> um we've already had about an hour worth of that debate when we were in exeter last weekend yeah. yeah so but yeah anyway thank you very much for listening and goodbye thank you bye